0: Choosing where to pursue higher education is a decision that matters now more than ever. Who will provide an education rooted in biblical principles? Who are the kind of people you want to study with? Located in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, Cairn University is a Christian university that is firmly centered on Christ and His Word. As both a graduate and a professor of the new digital media and communication program at Cairn, I know that the kind of education you will receive is one that builds biblically-minded men and women of character. Whether you or your student wants to study business administration, psychology, education, sports management, computer science, or one of the many other program offerings, Cairn will prepare you to be a professional and a servant for Christ. To learn more or to schedule a visit, please visit cairn.edu. That's spelled cairn.edu. And we look forward to seeing you on campus. Life Audio. You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast. I'm John Stonge, and each week we take an in-depth look at God's Word with the goal of putting our minds in a better place and learning more about what it means to glorify Christ with our lives. Our current series focuses on the Holy Spirit. We're taking a look at who He is and what He does in the life of a believer. And I hope you'll find this week's message helpful in your personal understanding of the Holy Spirit's ministry. But before we dig into this together, let's pause for a quick word from today's sponsors. It's great to see everybody this morning. So glad you're able to be here with us. This morning is our final look at what we've been looking at throughout the course of the summer. We've been looking at the the work and the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit, who He is and what He does. And uh, for several months, we've been studying His ministry as we've been looking at various portions of Scripture. Today will be our final look at uh, His ministry. Although the truth is. If we wanted to extend this series to be many, many months, we truly could because there's so much scripture reveals to us about all the different things that he's involved in, all the different things that he does. But this morning, we're going to be talking about this idea of grieving. Specifically, we're going to be asking the question, how can we avoid grieving the Holy Spirit? And there's one spot in the New Testament that really addresses this. And that's in Ephesians chapter 4, so if you would take your Bibles and turn with me there. We're going to look at uh, multiple portions of Ephesians 4 this morning, but I'm going to start us off by looking at verses 29 to 32, and uh, then in a little while we're going to look at some of the preceding verses. But Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 29, tells us this. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. forgave you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to look at your word together this morning, and we pray that as we look at this portion of scripture and some of the related portions that you'd help us to understand what we're reading and what we're, what we're seeing in your word. We know, Lord, that there are things that you want us to understand that we would not naturally understand. We know that there are things that we read in your word that are completely countercultural. This culture goes in one direction, and You tell us that many people in this world are just lumping together, going in a direction that leads to destruction, but for those of us that you've called out of this mess, you invite us to see new things, you invite us to live a new life, you invite us to walk with you with sincerity, and so Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to do so, and as we look at this portion of your word and some of the related scriptures that go with it, we pray that you'd help us to understand what we're reading and that we would have hearts that are attuned to your will so that we would not grieve your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your blessings and for the privilege to be able to look at these things now. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So let me just start off with a question this morning. You don't have to answer it out loud. Just be thinking of your answer in your head or in your heart. But how comfortable are you with the practice of grieving, How comfortable are you with the practice of grieving? I think that might possibly sound like a strange question to ask, but I ask this because grief is actually one of the primary emotions most of us as human beings try to avoid. I I think a lot of us actually try to avoid it. Over the course of my life, I've seen grown men and grown women do their best to, uh, to avoid acknowledging grief in any form, for fear that they won't know what to do with the emotions when those emotions begin to surface. But grief, if you try to ignore it, it's going to sneak out somewhere. might not come out where you think it's going to, to come out, but it's going to come out somewhere. I think if we try to ignore it, we try and press it down, I think it just reappears in unexpected or sometimes maladaptive ways, and, and you just you, you have something else coming out in your life, and you're like, why am I behaving this way? Why am I saying this sort of thing. And really, sometimes it's unresolved grief sneaking out in a variety of ways. And one of the things that I've noticed recently, maybe you've noticed this as well, maybe we have different opinions about this, but I think our cultural discomfort with grief has started to appear in places that I honestly am a little surprised by, some areas that I wouldn't have expected, particularly in the funeral industry. Maybe you've noticed some of this. Now, you would think that if anyone might choose not to avoid the topic of grief, the funeral industry would likely be the place that would choose not to avoid that, right? You would, you would assume that that would be part and parcel of what gets discussed in that context. But if you've been paying attention, you probably noticed a change in the wording that many funeral homes are presently using. You might also be seeing this in some obituaries and, and some of the language that's being adopted in that context as well. But funerals lately, maybe you've seen this, are gradually being referred to more as life celebrations. You notice that? It's a life celebration. And funeral homes, instead of being called funeral homes, oftentimes are being now called life celebration homes. I've noticed that. Now, first of all, I completely understand the desire to do this, but I am a traditionalist. So when I die, please give me a funeral and please call it that. Okay. That's my preference. I'm going on record. Please call it that. And please bury me in a cemetery, not a life memorial field or whatever they get called by then, all right? Um, But I I noticed that, and I actually think that part of our language choice on that is because we actually really struggle to just deal with grief. We don't want to call it what it is because grief, we don't know what to do with grief, and so we give it new names. And, uh, And just the same... Even though grief is something that I think we all find uncomfortable, I think that we have to admit that at times we have been the source of grief for other people. You know, if we think back over the course of our lives, we could probably point a few things out. I I distinctly remember a few awkward moments during my growing up years where I caused, where I was the direct cause of genuine grief for my parents or my grandparents or even my siblings. You know, I could think of moments where, yeah, I was the one causing The grief. Now, from my current perspective as an adult, I feel troubled that that was the case then. When I look back at that, I think, yeah, I probably didn't show up very well in that moment. But in that season, I think I was often kind of ignorant of the grief that I was causing other people. I was just kind of going about life, doing my own thing, not really thinking about the way I responded or the way I acted or the things that I did, how that might cause another person to grieve. And I bring those things up because no matter which season of life we're at, whether you're older or younger or somewhere in between, we all have the power to cause grief. Every single one of us, regardless of the season of life that we're at. And not only do we have the capacity to grieve one another, so I have the capacity to grieve you, you have the capacity to grieve me, we have the capacity to grieve anyone that's in our day-to-day life, but not only do we have that capacity, we also have the capacity, or the, even we could even say the propensity, to grieve our Creator. Which is something I think, it could be a bit challenging to wrap your mind around. It's like, I can grieve my Creator, I can, cre- I can grieve the Lord, but that's what Scripture references. Scripture specifically cautions us against it. And it's in the portion of Scripture that we just read. I'll reread it in just a moment here. But in Ephesians chapter 4, when you look at verses 29 down to verse 32, we're told this. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then the Scripture tells us here, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed, for the day of redemption. So think about that statement, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's what scripture invites us to be aware of or to be thoughtful of and to be cautious not to do. Now, one of the most powerful demonstrations we possess, and this is true for every single one of us that call on the name of Jesus Christ, Your follower of Jesus Christ, one of the most powerful demonstrations we possess of the power of Christ, actually is in the way in which he's enabled us to interact with one another. So the power of Christ gets demonstrated in our interactions. And in many ways, that interaction is going to be displayed most prominently in the way we speak. Most of our interactions involve some form of verbal communication. Not all, but most involve some level of verbal communication communication. And on a personal level, I have to admit, I think about that concept frequently. I actually think the Lord wants me to think about that concept frequently because it's become very obvious to me that the primary way that the Lord throughout the course of my adult life has been opening up doors for me to serve other people usually ends up being either through a microphone or a keyboard. So I think a lot about words, right? I think about the fact that it's like, okay, well, I I preach. So that's an opportunity to use words. It could either give grace to those who hear, or it could be hurtful to those who hear if I'm not careful. I have the opportunity to teach. I have the opportunity to write. I have the opportunity to record. And then during the week, I'm also counseling, and I'm praying with people. And I look at those things, six specific activities that I do over the course of any given week, and they all involve words, They all involve speaking. They all involve involve addressing something verbally to other people. And so when I read a portion of Scripture like this, my eyes are drawn to the invitation that says, give grace to those who hear. Give grace to those who hear, those that are hearing your word. So I read it in a very personal way, and I'd encourage you to read it in a very personal way. It encourages us as followers of Christ to have the opportunity to impact one another or cause one another grief. It's saying, as you use the words that come forth from your face, give grace to those who hear. So I look at that and I say, all right, you know what? That's what I want to motivate me. I want that to motivate me. I want that to be something that I have as a theme going on in my mind. As I've received the grace of Jesus Christ, I want to generously share his grace through the the words that come out of my mouth. And that's an opportunity each of us is given. And I look at it this way. When you look at what's stated here, is it talks about this idea of giving grace to those who hear. And it's, it's connecting that to how we use the words that come out of our mouth. I look at it this way we could either glorify the Lord with our words and with the ways that we interact with, with other people, or we can grieve his spirit. Those are the options that we're given in this portion of Scripture glorify or grieve. Glorify or grieve, right? Those are our options. We can glorify or we can grieve. So the admonition we're given here is to choose to glorify, right? Choose to glorify our Lord. When presented with those options, we have a choice. We can glorify the Lord or we can grieve the Lord. And obviously, the desire that that the Lord seeks to place within our heart is a desire to glorify Him. Now, when you look at a portion of Scripture like this, and it cautions us about this idea of grieving the Holy Spirit. Did that surprise anybody? When I read that a few moments ago, when I'm, when I'm reading about the fact that, that the Lord has given us the capacity to actually grieve Him, that our Creator has, has given us the capacity to grieve Him, did that surprise anybody? You know, even if, as you just think about it? I think many people, when they think of God, when they, when they, they think of maybe just what they think his personality is like or how he operates or how he interacts with people, don't you think many people just assume God is unemotional or unfeeling? Or if they do attribute an emotion to God, that it's anger when someone sins or does something wrong, they can, they can wrap their mind around God being angry about something, but they have a hard time thinking about God grieving over something. Wouldn't you think that's a fair statement To make about how we assume God operates. And then you look at a portion of scripture like this, and it tells us God is not unemotional. God is not unfeeling. And by the way, I think that the fact that, that you and I, as human beings created in His image, display those traits, I think a big part of what's going on is, you know, here we are, created in His image, reflecting certain aspects of His nature and His character. And, um, and Scripture reveals to us he's not unemotional. He's not unfeeling. He created us in his image, and that means that, and I'll say this in a personal way, I won't point fingers at anyone else but myself with this, if I speak disrespectfully to somebody, or if I fail to treat somebody else with kindness, what kind of emotional response do you suppose I would receive from treating somebody in that, in that manner? If I'm not kind, if I'm choosing to be disrespectful, what kind of emotional response do you suppose I would receive from them? Usually, I would get a a response that indicates that their heart has been grieved by my words or my actions, right? If I treat someone disrespectfully, if I use my words carelessly. And when you look at Ephesians 4 here, where where our primary scripture is found today, you have the Apostle Paul, he's actually attempting to speak to us on an emotional level speaking to us on an emotional level, and he wants us to see the heart and the face of God in our interactions with others. I think that's something really, really useful for you and me as we seek to grow in our walk with the Lord, that as we're interacting with others, that we start to notice the heart and the face of God, that we envision that in our minds and in our hearts as we're interacting with other people. So the, I think the way it works out is kind of like this. I, I think, you know, I want to know if the way that I speak to and interact with other people is bringing a smile to God's face, or if I'm grieving his heart. I want to know that so that I can ultimately choose to glorify him instead of grieving him. I want to know if the way I speak to and interact with others is bringing a smile to the face of God, or if I'm grieving his heart. Now, in the midst of talking about all of this, Paul gets intensely theological with some of the other words that he says in this passage of Scripture. Because he also tells us in the midst of this context of saying, you know, that that you have been, or where he cautions us not to grieve the Holy Spirit, in that same context, he also tells us that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. We've been sealed by that same Spirit for the day of redemption. Well, what sense would it make for a believer in Christ to grieve the same Spirit with which we have been sealed? doesn't make sense, but yet oftentimes we end up doing that. But what does it even mean to be sealed by the Holy Spirit? Why is this even brought up in a context where we're being told not to grieve Him? Well, here's the way it works. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, Christ is your Lord. If you're following Him, if you truly believe in Him with all sincerity, Scripture reveals that all believers are protected and preserved by the Spirit of God during this time. So he is actively doing this for you. He's protecting you and he's preserving you during this time while we await for our ultimate redemption and our eternal glorification. So we're being protected and preserved by the Holy Spirit while we wait for that day. There's there's coming a day where we will sin no more, where we will struggle no no more, where we'll be in God's presence for all eternity in a glorified, sinless state. That's a wonderful thing that I hope we're all looking forward to. But in the meantime, you and I, we have up days and down days. We have moments that we're like, yeah, that's a good moment. And then we have moments like I referenced uh, where I think back to my childhood and some of the grief that I caused people that loved me. And I thought, all right, that was a down moment. And when you look at the, the span of your life, you realize those up moments and those down moments, doesn't it make you grateful that your salvation doesn't depend on you? Aren't you grateful that your salvation doesn't depend on you only having up days? And a part of what's going on here is the Lord understands that you and me, we have up days and we have down days. And where our salvation, our relationship with the Lord is not being preserved by our own effort or by our own strength. We're being told here that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're being protected and preserved by the Spirit of God during this time while we await our ultimate glorification in His presence. presence. Which means He's actively working in our lives right now to see us through to the end. That brings my heart relief. When I think about that fact, when I think about the fact that the Spirit of God is actively working in my life to see me through to the end. And that this all isn't hanging on me or, or, or coming down to me. His presence in our lives, what he's doing is he's certifying and he's confirming that we belong to God and that we're part of the family of God. That seal, right? That seal. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We belong to God. We're part of God's family. And as part, here's the thing. As part of the family of God, we have the opportunity to represent the family that we're part of. Do you ever meet somebody and you make assumptions about their whole family based on the one person you met? And then you meet their family, and you realize their family's nothing like them. Do you ever have moments like that? Or some of you are, are maybe even worry about that when people meet you that they might make assumptions about you based on certain things they know about your family. They're like, what if they make assumptions? I'm not like my sibling. I'm not like that person. I'm not like my dad or my mom. I'm different. I'm me, right? Well, the truth is, when you bear a family name, you represent your family. You shine on your family in one way or another. Now think about that in relation to our walk with the Lord, the fact that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, made part of the family of God. We walk through this earth representing the family that we're part of. We represent our Heavenly Father. You and I do. If we bear the name of Christ, we represent Christ. We represent our Heavenly Father. We represent the Holy Spirit. Well, here's the thing. As part of the family of God, I don't want to misrepresent the head of that family. And nor do I want to give our spiritual family a bad name by living like my heavenly father might be evil or wicked in how I'm representing him. It reminds me of what Jesus says in John chapter 8. When you look at John chapter 8, verse 42, and the verses following, Jesus challenges some people to understand whom they claim to represent. And he says to them, it says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? And then he answers that question. He says, basically, the reason you don't understand it, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And I look at what Christ says in John chapter 8, and I think about the fact that, okay, for those of us that are followers of Christ, for those uh, of us who, who seek to be part of the family of God, we have the opportunity to represent our heavenly Father. Now, the people that Jesus was confronting in that context thought that they were representing their heavenly Father well, and he says, no, not at all. You have no faith in me, which demonstrates that you have no relationship with the Father. In fact, the one you're representing is the father of lies, Satan. He's saying, and you're you're doing your father's will by being deceptive and deceitful and liars and false accusers and slanderers. You're representing the father of lies as you do that. But now let's reverse that and make sure that those of us who claim the name of Christ understand what Jesus is saying in our context. In our context, what's he telling us? By reverse, he's saying, or by contrast, he's saying what? Represent your father well. He welcomes you into the family. What? Represent him well. Understand that you bear the name of Christ. You're part of the Christian family. That the father ordained this to be so. Represent your father well. Understand that in the context you live, and that's the opportunity that you have. And and all that to say, mature Christians have have a drastically different way of doing things than this world embraces. And Scripture reminds us that through faith in Jesus Christ and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we have the privilege to think and function and interact in a brand new way. And it's one thing for me to say all of that, you know, that that... I think in a new way, I live in a new way, I demonstrate uh, the grace of God in a new way, but it's another thing to actually live that out. And thankfully, in the same chapter, in Ephesians chapter 4, that we've been primarily looking at this morning, as Paul speaks about grieving the Holy Spirit, he also shows us how to avoid doing so. He gives us very specific instruction on how to avoid doing so. We claim to be part of the family of God, representing that family. Obviously, we don't want to be grieving the Spirit of God. So how do I avoid grieving the Holy Spirit? As I'm going through my life, how can I avoid grieving the Holy Spirit? Well, let me give you a banner idea that can help us determine if what we're about to do will grieve the Holy Spirit, if what we're thinking, saying, or doing would grieve Him. Grieving the Holy Spirit involves forgetting the nature of our redemption, We forget the nature of our redemption, the fact that we were lost and are found now through Christ, the fact that Jesus rescued us out of condemnation. If we forget all of that, we forget the nature of that rescue, we're we're setting ourselves up to grieve the Holy Spirit. It's basically living a life that's ignorant of the fact that Jesus paid a price to rescue us from our sin and condemnation. Then we start minimizing the price Jesus paid, and then we ignore the new life that we have in Christ a life that's to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we choose instead to live a life that resembles the former manner of living that we used to live in before we came to faith in Christ. That's a banner way that we can look at what does it take to start grieving the Holy Spirit. Well, it involves forgetting the nature of our redemption. And if we're going to, uh, to avoid grieving the Holy Spirit, there are three things that we need to keep in mind. We need to walk in the holiness of God as an outpouring of our faith. We need to live in response to the love of Christ. and We need to maintain a spirit of peace and unity with other believers. Those are the categories that Paul gives us in this portion of Scripture. But then he gets very specific. So consider some of the very specific examples Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 4. Now let me bring it up here on the screen. Hopefully you can see that if you can't just um, look at the Bibles in front of you. But when you look at, we'll start with Ephesians 4.25. In that portion of Scripture he tells us, we grieve the Spirit when we speak lies to one another. So if I'm deceitful to you or if you're deceitful to me, if we speak lies to one another, we grieve the Spirit. The way he says it in Ephesians 4.25 is this. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. All right, well, that's a, that's a good start. It's good to know that. What else does he say? He also reveals to us that we grieve the Spirit when we yield control of our lives to anger. By the way, I have two lists for us. This is the first of two lists that I'm going to share. One on the negative, one on the positive. But we grieve the Spirit when we yield control of our lives to anger. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 say this, Be angry and do not sin. So there is a righteous anger, right? There are certain things that you can righteously be angry about, but you don't hold on to those things and let them become bitter. So it says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You know what happens when we hold on to anger? It turns into bitterness and the devil looks at that and says, this is the perfect foothold. He will divide you from friends. He will divide you from family. He will, he will cause your mind To start thinking about other people as your enemies instead of realizing that you're in the same boat as every other person you've ever met over the course of your life. And here Paul reveals to us that when we yield control of our lives to to anger, we're we're grieving the Spirit of God. How about this? We grieve the Spirit of God when we steal from one another. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Anyone see the uh, prisoner escape that's been making the news? Anyone notice that?
1: You haven't noticed
0: it. My mother-in-law noticed it. Now, I think some of these activities have taken place uh, an hour from us, Um, but my mother-in-law has been checking in on us to make sure we're safe, so that's good, right? But if you've been watching, and by the way, she listens to the podcast, so hello, mother-in-law. <laughs> say hi. Everybody say hi. She can hear it through the mic. Um, but if you've noticed, this uh, prisoner, he's been, you know, what do they say, on the lamb, right? I don't know the origin of that phrase, but he's on the lamb. It means he's, he's running from the law right now, and he's going place to place, stealing, to help him get to the next place. So it looks like he stole a refrigeration truck and he's been driving that around and he's been stealing food and stealing clothing and stealing different things and and showing up on people's ring doorbells i think stealing things off their porches that's the impression i got from one of the things that i saw there and i was like okay so he's stealing and here you have the apostle paul saying look maybe you used to live a life similar to that maybe that's something that was in your past as well and he's saying we grieve the spirit when we steal from one another. He says, let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Well, he goes on to tell us a little bit more. He tells us that we grieve the spirit when we use our words to poison each other's minds and tear one another down. He says in verse 29 of Ephesians 4, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So he's not saying, let a little corrupting talk come out of your mouth, or let, let some, as long as it's not too much, he's saying, no, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Only speak what's going to build others up. Do you ever notice that some people seem to have an undue amount of influence and friendships and connections and relationships in this world? And do you ever notice the way they tend to speak to people and treat other people? They tend to have servants' hearts, and they tend to build other people up with their words, and they are like people magnets. And I think that's on purpose, because I think deep down, what do we want? We want to be around other people that are going to build us up, not tear us down. I mean, think about the people in your life who historically have used their words to tear you down. Do you go out of your way to spend time with them? Do you go out of your way to have conversation with them? No, most likely you go out of your way to end conversation with them quickly because you know that most conversations that you have with them will result in you feeling a little bit worse than the conversation began, right? Or than when it began. But Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. All right, how about this? We grieve the Holy Spirit when we hold on to bitterness and everything that comes with it. This is very much connected to what he said about anger a few moments ago. But if you look at Ephesians 4.31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. He's saying, look, put it away. Just put it away somewhere you can't even access it. Then he also tells us in verse 32 that we grieve the spirit when we fail to demonstrate Christ like kindness and forgiveness toward one another. He says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I think grieving the spirit of God is something that's very easy to do, and that's why we're challenged in Scripture. Don't go in that direction when you're life. And I think it happens when we have a very small view of our new life in Christ and a small view of our role in the body of Christ. And a small view of how our lives impact the lives of others around us, if we have that small view, we lose sight of how the Lord wants to use us and the way in which He's designed us to have a measurable impact on the lives of those that we have the opportunity to interact with. I actually really like the way Charles Simpson once encouraged Christians to just expand their understanding of the work that God wants to do within us and the ways in which He wants us to grow our faith. He said this, now... um, Let's see, John failed. Did you have another shirt on that had sharks on it earlier? Who had a shirt? I thought I thought, saw somebody that had a shirt that had sharks. Oh, no, you've got a shirt that has sharks. All right, Andrew does. All right, so th- those, are, those are sharks on there, right? I saw that earlier. All right, well, this is what Charles Simpson said. You're going to appreciate this. You wore that shirt on the right Sunday. All right, I was trying to remember. I saw somebody wear it. All right, um, he said this. He said, I met a young man not long ago who dives for exotic fish for aquariums. And he said, the most popular aquarium fish is the shark. Anyone want a shark for your aquarium? We have a beta at our home. You put two betas together, they'll turn into sharks, right? Um, but he said, one of the most popular aquarium fish, does that blow your mind? What are you thinking right now when you think about a, a, a shark in a, an aquarium? You're, thinking, you're probably thinking, how big does this aquarium need to be, right? Uh, well, he says this. He said, one of the most popular aquarium fish is the shark, but he explained That if you catch a small shark and you confine it during that season of its life, it will stay a size proportionate to the aquarium. It will stay small. Now, sharks can be six inches long, but fully matured. They can stay that small and, and develop full maturity, but if you turn them loose into the ocean, if you put them in that bigger pond, they grow to their normal length, typically of about eight feet. But if you keep them confined in that aquarium, you can keep them, even at what you would say is a fully biologically matured development, state of development, they can remain six inches small. But Charles Simpson, the way he phrases it, he goes, you know, this also happens to some Christians. He said, I've seen some of the cutest little six-inch Christians who swim around in a little puddle. That's how he describes it. But then he says, but if you put them in a larger arena, into the whole creation, then they become great. And I think sometimes we just have a small view of the kind of impact that the Lord could have on other people through the life that he's blessed us with. We swim around like like sharks with all this potential, but then we never use it. We just have a small view of the role of Christ's redemption in our life, a small view of the impact we can have as part of the church. And Scripture is encouraging us to expand that view and to understand God's nature and how He operates within us. Now, I mentioned I had a second list for us. I shared a moment ago ways in which Ephesians 4 shows us how we can avoid grieving, like the things to avoid if if we desire to not grieve the Holy Spirit. But I want to finish our time together by giving you 10 things that are positive things that we can do as we develop a sensitivity with our our actions and our attitudes and our behaviors to the Holy Spirit's heart and mind. And I love what Scripture reveals to us when you look at the totality of Scripture, where it tells us proactively there are steps of faith that you and I can take to position our lives not to grieve the Spirit of God. So I just want to give you ten suggestions, ten ways you can posture or position your life not to grieve the Holy Spirit. First, number one on my list is this. We can cultivate a consistent prayer life and and engage in genuine worship because this helps us maintain a close relationship with God, and it places us in a posture that invites the Holy Spirit to, to work in our lives. Next, we can regularly read and meditate on the teaching of God's Word because it's through God's Word that He typically speaks to us. And I think if we're seeking to understand and obey God's Word, that's the key way to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes God, uh, many of us expect God to speak from clouds or speak through miracles or, or speak through signs or things like that. And the Lord has certainly spoken through miracles, and He's certainly spoken through signs, but the most prominent and typical way the Lord speaks to His people is through the written Word. And I think that if we, if we make a consistent habit of, of being in the Word of God, we're going to be hearing the voice of God, and that will make a huge difference in our day-to-day life. Next is this. When you recognize sin in your life, confess it and repent of it. So that means not only asking the Lord for forgiveness, but also turning away from whatever sinful behavior He's identified in your heart and He's pointed out to you. Don't keep embracing it, just turn from it. Next is this. Cultivate a heart of gratitude. We see this demonstrated in multiple places in Scripture, but basically it's just the idea of recognizing and giving thanks to God for the blessings that he's placed in your life. And I think when we foster that kind of positive attitude or thankful attitude, I think we're, we're putting ourselves in a spot where we're saying, Lord, I'm truly noticing and I'm truly grateful for the things that you've done in my life. I have to tell you, I had one of the best days I've had in many, many months this past Friday. And if you looked at the day from the outside, you would say to yourself, like, it looks kind of like a normal day in your schedule, John. Like, why was it so good? I think some of the reason why it was so good is that my attitude was in a good spot for the day. But there were just a whole bunch of things along the way that when I sat back at the end of the day, I looked at and I thought, you know what? I think that's something that the Lord wants me to notice and just just say thank you for. Like, I'm so thankful for that conversation I was able to have this morning. So thankful for this subject I was able to teach about during the day. So thankful for uh, just the opportunity the Lord gave my wife and I to enjoy dinner together that night. And I'm just thinking about it. She had, my wife has to listen to me like talk and talk and talk. It's like, and when I get something in my head, like it's torture for her. She's so patient. But, I, but if, I, if there's something I like, there is no mystery that I like it. Because I will talk about it and talk about it and then talk about it more until I find the new thing that I like, and then I start talking about that. And I think in her mind, she's probably like, oh, so this is our new subject of conversation for two weeks, right? But she had to hear me talk on Friday, in the midst of the day, about how wonderful of a day it was, and then breaking down and analyzing all the things in the day that I thought were wonderful. And she's such a good listener that I was like, wow, I am blessed. But she made the list, so I think that's probably why she was happy to hear it too, right? Like, you were very high on that list, so... Um, but anyway, the point being, I think that when we, uh, when we could just cultivate a heart of gratitude, thanking God for what he does, does that not position our hearts to, instead of going in a direction of grieving the Lord, it puts us in a spot where we're apt to glorify the Lord for his blessings. How about this? Seek, seeking to manifest the, spirit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit in our day-to-day life. You know, if you remember some weeks ago, we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So I even say this by way of recapping some of the things we've been talking about in previous weeks. The fruit of the Spirit, it's referenced to us in Galatians chapter 5. This fruit is something the Holy Spirit brings out in your life and in my life. We're told the fruit in- includes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things, these are fruit of the Spirit, demonstration of His work in your life and in my life. These, these qualities or these traits reflect the character of God. And we're invited to demonstrate these things to one another. I think Scripture also invites us, we're seeking proactively to not grieve the Holy Spirit, but live in a spot that, that honors Him, to strive to live a life that's aligned with God's commandments, to seek to obey His leading in His Word. And again, sometimes that might involve stepping out on faith, but certainly it involves making decisions that align with His revealed will. I think Scripture also encourages us to guard our hearts and guard our minds, to be mindful of the influences that impact our thoughts and our emotions. We can guard against negative or sinful influences that might lead us astray. We want to posture our lives to not grieve the Holy Spirit. A couple more before we finish. I think doing what we're doing right now as we gather together, surrounding ourselves with a community of believers who can provide support or encouragement or accountability, I think that also postures us or positions us not to live a life that grieves the Spirit of God. How about this? Be attentive to the prompting or the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that requires some sensitivity and a willingness to be obedient. And uh, certainly, you know, it's highly beneficial if we understand what the Word of God reveals about His will. But being sensitive to His leading, sensitive to His direction in our day-to-day life, not ignoring his voice when he speaks to us, but welcoming his counsel. One more, and this just relates to our operation in the body of Christ, but I think as we look at what scripture reveals to us, we're reminded to just treat others with kindness, compassion, and respect, because that reflects the heart of Christ. We have been treated with that compassion, kindness, and respect through Jesus, who looked at us, and even though our hearts were initially postured against him, through the Spirit of God, our hearts have been softened, and we now recognize our need for Him. We have the privilege to reflect the love of God and honor the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, to kind of wrap all this up, let me just say this. Please remember that this is an ongoing process and that none of us is perfect. And when you stumble, don't be discouraged. None of us is perfect, we all stumble, so when you stumble, don't be discouraged. Turn to God in repentance, joyfully seek His forgiveness, and recognize that the Holy Spirit, He is here to guide us, to convict us, and to empower us on our day-to-day lives. And as, as we walk with Him, as our faith matures, I think He's going to make our hearts sensitive to what His heart is sensitive to and our lives will be placed in a, in a spot, in a position where we're less apt to go in the direction of grieving Him and are more apt to go in the direction of glorifying Him. I'm grateful for the months that we've been able to spend looking at the Holy Spirit's ministry in our day-to-day lives, the things that He does, who He is, how He operates in our day-to-day life. And I wanted to end our series with this thought Just with the idea of remaining sensitive to his leading, knowing that he seeks to do a great work in and through us, and that the kind of impact he can make on the life of somebody else through your life as your life is yielded to his guidance and control is something that I think will surprise you and is beyond human capacity to measure in most contexts. So we're grateful for him. We're grateful for his ministry. We're grateful for his presence with us today. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the privilege that it is to look at your word together and to just think about the things that you reveal to us in it. Lord, we're, we're so thankful for the challenge that you give to us in your word, not to grieve your spirit. Father, thank you for revealing the fact that, that you are not emotionless, that you are not unconcerned with the life or the activities of your children. You notice us, you see what's going on, you're concerned with the direction we go. You remind us in so many ways of the work that was accomplished on our behalf through your son, and you challenge us not to forget the redemptive work that your son has accomplished on our behalf. So Lord, we pray that these would be things that are fresh on our mind, and that we would just be men and women who are abundantly grateful for who you are and for all you do. Lord, thank you for ministering to us through your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the fact that he's producing holiness in our lives. He's counseling us and comforting us. He's sealing us and preserving us for the day of of our glorification. And in the meantime, as we think about these things. And as we just contemplate the wonderful ministry of of your spirit, we pray that we would purpose in our hearts not to grieve your spirit, that we would realize that we've been shown grace and mercy and we are deeply loved. And since we're so deeply loved, we pray that, that we would genuinely and sincerely love your spirit in return. Thank you, Father, for these reminders from your word. We know that your spirit is so often neglected and ignored in in many contexts of Christian teaching. And what a shame that is, because when we look at your word, we realize that we live in a generation right now where your spirit is actively at work. And your son, Jesus Christ, told us that it was to our benefit that he returned to you because your spirit would be sent to us. He would minister to us. And so we're grateful for the blessings and benefits we've received through your Spirit's ministry. Again, Father, we're grateful for all these things and for the fact that you bring our mind to to be able to see and understand what you've revealed to us in your Word and through your Spirit. And we pray that you'd help us to be people who put you first in all areas of life and remain sensitive to your leading. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.